Welcome to Cannabis Science Today. My name is Emily Feta, and this is a brand new podcast where we talk about all things cannabis and science. If you've ever walked into a dispensary and wish you had a scientist on speed dial while you're trying to choose between hundreds of products, or if you're just curious about some of the claims being made about CBD and whether the research substantiates them, this is the podcast for you. We interview a range of scientists across the fields of neuroscience, psychology, medicine, and biology who are working in the field and doing real research on cannabis. We cover topics like, how can cannabis help with my anxiety? How soon can I drive after smoking a joint? What are terpenes and how do they affect us? What is the difference between an indica and a sativa? What level of THC can our bodies actually metabolize? How can patients with epilepsy seem to respond to cannabis when nothing else works? So if you've ever wondered about these questions or so many more, stay tuned. We have a fascinating series ahead of us where we interview very curious researchers within the field, and they offer so much knowledge and wisdom about cannabis as a plant and what it can do for us as humans and as a society. This episode was made possible through a generous donation from Steep Hill, a cannabis science and technology company with significant footprints in lab testing, research and development, licensing, genetics, and remote testing. You can learn more at steephill.com. Today we're featuring Dr. Monica Fleschner who is a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. Her research focuses on neural and immune system interactions. She has been investigating the impact that stressors have on the mind and body, and she also tries to learn how we can reduce the negative health consequences of stress through accessible intervention, like exercise, and more recently, CBD, or the cannabidiol compound, which is one of the main compounds found in cannabis. So in this episode, we talk about how the cannabidiol compound can affect stress. So if you've ever suffered from anxiety or stress and you have wanted to try some sort of CBD-based tincture or tea or any kind of product, this is a great episode to learn more. And Dr. Fleschner defines stress as an unwanted event or experience. So honestly, who hasn't had that happen to them? This is also the first episode where we talk about the laboratory animal research model, specifically working with laboratory rats. And I was very naive about the animal research model before this conversation, but Dr. Fleschner really explained it in detail. And um, it's very illuminating to understand what we can learn from working with this animal research model that we can't necessarily learn from observing and researching humans, even if they already are taking CBD or using cannabis. So Dr. Fleschner, I'm really excited to jump into your research on cannabis constituents, but first, could you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to your current position at CU Boulder? So I um, completed a PhD in neuroscience and went on um, from there to do uh, two postdoctoral fellowships, um, one in immunology, so I could learn more about the immune system, and then a second uh, 
position in neuroscience again. And then finally, after what seemed like a very long time, I did land a position here at the University of Colorado Boulder um, as an assistant professor hired in the Department of Integrated Physiology. And I've now risen through the ranks and am a full professor, and I've been in this department for over 20 years. Awesome. So, yes, I'm really excited to hear about some of your most recent research that involves CBD. And I know you uh, won, the gr won a grant to support a pilot study investigating the potential for CBD to study the effects of stress, such as anxiety and sleeping issues. So congratulations. I know this is pretty uh, new and exciting. So can you tell me more about this research study and exactly what you did? So I've been very interested ever since the state of Colorado allowed people access to um, cannabis and marijuana freely. I was always curious about what kind of basic research really supported the relatively wild claims mm -hmm. that are out there about what these materials can do. So I was not interested in THC com containing compounds due to their psychoactive effects. Rather, I wanted to focus on specifically the cannabinoids, CBD, as well as others that are found naturally in these materials that people can currently go around the corner and purchase. Um, my, because of my interest in stress and stress physiology, I knew that, that people were routinely taking these, these extracts to reduce things like um, stress effects on sleep, uh, as well as uh, the impacts of anxiety and depression. And so the experiment that I was hoping to do is a long-term study where you're able to examine um, specifically sleep and, and looking in the brain at stages of sleep, I really wanted to see if you ingest these materials with their com complex composition, does it impact the brain and does it impact sleep architecture? Now that experiment um, will have to be on hold until future funding can be secured, but due to uh, the University of Colorado's pilot program, I was able to do a short-term study focusing on a different aspect of stress physiology. So in this experiment, what we were interested in is uh, if animals, so laboratory rats, males and females, if, if they just ingested a CBD extract that was donated to us from um, functional remedies here in Boulder, if they daily, if they took a daily ingestion of these materials, would it impact the physiology of this short-term stress response? So one, one aspect of stress response that's, that's uh, very important is something called sterile inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've probably heard one of the claims is that CBD can be anti-inflammatory, it, it can reduce anxiety, it can improve, improve sleep, all these other things. So this, I thought, was a nice model that we could you know, explore whether ingesting CBD did indeed modulate this inflammatory response that gets activated when an organism is under stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I definitely want to hear more about the details and the outcome of that study. But before before we dig in too much to that, I, I'm really curious because I think with most pharmaceutical drugs, um, there's quite a bit of 
testing on laboratory animals before it actually reaches humans. So I feel cannabis is a bit unorthodox because obviously so many humans are, are taking CBD or, or using cannabis in some form, but we don't really have the scientific literature or any data um, that shows the effects of, with, on laboratory animals. So, so I'm kind of wondering at this stage in the game, why is it still beneficial to almost go backwards and do these tests on laboratory animals? That's a terrific question. And I think for one reason is that, you know, there are people out there that are hesitant to want to try these materials to, to ingest CBD that you buy from some dispensary here in Boulder when our understanding of, first of all, what's in that compound is very limited. Um, it's only relatively recently that the industry is beginning more and more standard mm -hmm. testing of mm -hmm. these complex extracts. In addition, if I'm going to take this stuff, I would like to know some really fundamental basic physiological consequences of taking these complex extracts. Um, do they have an impact on, oh, something like, you know, um, the gut microbiota, the bacteria that are in, in the gut? We have no idea if you ingest these materials daily what impact that might have. Um, I'd also like to know what the cumulative effect is. There's very narrow dose response ranges that are reported in the literature, and they can be all over the board. And fundamental physiological research that systematically explores this is, is essential. Otherwise, you're absolutely flying by the seat of your pants. Mm -hmm. um, the, the compounds that are out there are all different. They're all unique, and they're even different from batch to batch. And so it would be good to understand whether that difference is inconsequential or whether it could have some unforeseen effect. Mm -hmm. And when you do testing on laboratory animals compared to humans, is part of the draw that there are you're, you're able to control more variables? Uh, yeah, so the basic fundamental need for experimental models and preclinical models mm -hmm. is because, for example, let's say that I'm interested in um, the impact that CBD has on um, some change in the brain, um, some change in synaptic dendritic spines or something. Well, I can ask that question in a laboratory rat because I can take out the brain and I can examine it. You can't do that in people. <laughs> okay, so there's yeah, a lot yeah. of issues there. Let's say I wanted to see what effect it has on the liver. I can, I can examine the liver very closely mm -hmm. in a laboratory animal, mm -hmm. but not in a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important to mention because sometimes with this, it's like, oh, why don't you just go out to Boulder and find 200 patients who are using cannabis every night? But obviously there are restrictions in, right. in understanding how these compounds are actually affecting the brain and how you're able to study that. So um, so let's get back to the, the research project that you just finished up. And I'm wondering, where did you get the cannabis for this study? And how might it be similar or different from the, you know, cannabis extract that you'd be able to pick up at a dispensary here in Colorado? Well, a large part of my interest in this area of research is um, not examining, not to say that these kinds of experiments aren't important. Of course, it is important to study a pharmaceutical grade CBD molecule that we can manufacture in the lab. But I really wanted to study a material that was grown in Colorado that was um, extracted in Colorado, that was prepared in Colorado, and that's sold in Colorado. And so that's how I was able to work with a local dispensary, um, Functional Remedies, and they were uh, willing to donate some of the material that they currently are selling to people. 
Mm -hmm. So it was actually similar to a canvas extract that you would purchase Absolutely. You know, from Identical. a dispensary here. Cool. <laughs> So in terms of your experiment, I'm wondering exactly how do you define stress or how do you define kind of specifically acute or chronic stressors um, within your research? And how do these definitions hold outside of the lab? So I guess maybe a different way of framing that would be, well, what kinds of stress are you exposing to these laboratory animals and are humans exposed to the same kinds of stress? Um, so, so the way that you, the way that we in the stress physiology field function is that you can examine a variety of different challenges. So, by definition, um, a stressor is an adverse event, and an event that's adverse is an event you would choose to avoid. So that's one way that stress physiologists have tried to identify a stressor. The stress response is just this complex cascade of physiological responses that have evolved to allow us to fight or flee. So the acute stress response is critical for survival. We would all be dead without it. So whenever I hear um, something on TV about some compound reducing cortisol, for example, one of the primary stress hormones, and they say that you're reducing stress because you reduce cortisol, that, that's a misnomer. So I always, I always tell my students to, to put their critical thinking caps on when they hear those kinds of claims. So the, so the acute stress response is this physiological response characterized by your pupils dilating, your respiration going up, your heart rate going up, you're shunting blood away from digestions to the muscles, you're putting glucose to the brain so that you can fight or flee. Mm -hmm. That's the acute stress response. And the kinds of stressors that evoke that are aversive, adversive events. Mm -hmm. The reason I make that distinction is because that same cascade of responses sounds a lot like what happens when you exercise. Mm -hmm. For most people, not everyone, they don't find exercise an adversive event. They don't choose to avoid it, although maybe we do. But that, that's sort of the distinction. So chronic stressors or repeated stressors are stressors that continue over and over and over again. Perhaps something like um, the process that you go through when you go through a divorce or, um, you know, the never-ending challenge to try to pay your bills. So those have psychological components as well as, as physical components. In the laboratory, we're very mindful of that distinction. And so when we design our experiments, we can comprise exposing the animals to adverse events that we have created that we know have components of psychological as well as physical challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an important distinction, but it also um, it makes a lot of sense because it's a stress, an acute stressor for someone could be completely different than someone else. And right. I think um, historically, of course, kind of our the stress that we were exposed to was maybe being chased by a predator, uh -huh. a saber toothed tiger, or something. And of course, that is not you know those aren't the stress things that we experience in modern day society. But uh, our body still has the same response to something more minor, like not being able to pay our bills or yeah. something. So I think that's interesting that we can still apply that principle to study it in the lab. So so I know that um, your this CBD study was essentially. Um, studying the connection between how much CBD the rodents would voluntarily ingest and how the inflammation would change. Very good. So could you talk a little bit more about that and how that's connected to stress? Okay. So, so this was our first experiment uh, in this arena. And so the plan was that we would uh, use this CBD extract, and we knew exactly the concentration of CBD, 
per unit of volume. Okay, so it was in a coconut oil, just like you guys see when you go to a dispensary. And we wanted the animals to voluntarily ingest it. So many experiments will do things like um, inject uh, CBD directly into the brain or inject it into the peritoneal cavity or intravenously. And I, I don't know anybody who's taking CBD that way. Um, they're, they're ingesting it. They're taking it orally or putting it under their tongue. So we thought the best way to do this to minimize stress to the animals is allow them to voluntarily ingest Mm -hmm. this material. And the way we did that is we put it on one of their favorite foods, which was a um, frosted Cheerio, because laboratory rats like frosted Cheerios. That's mm -hmm. one of their favorite things. And we thought that way we could put a very carefully measured amount and, um, and monitor how much they would ingest. Mm -hmm. So that was the goal. The plan was that we were going to give them this dose that we had researched in the literature seemed to be an optimal dose every day for seven days and then expose them to this acute laboratory stressor that we knew would activate the sterile inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. The first unforeseen consequence, which is why you do research, is that the males and the females um, ingested voluntarily different amounts of these materials. Oh, that's really interesting. Something I was yeah. not planning on. Yes, it's interesting, but it screws up an experiment <laughs> just a little bit um, because it's difficult then to know um, exactly what concentrations each of the animals uh, ingested. Mm -hmm. We were able to collaborate with some other people and measure one of the CBD metabolites in the blood to try to get some concept of, of mm -hmm. dosing. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, the males chose to stop eating the CBD, but the females did not. The females mm -hmm. just ate it up. So they, they ate their full doses. The males did not. So we had a difference in concentration um, of CBD in the first place. Uh, in terms of the changing of the stress response, because we have this sort of experimental issue, um, it's difficult to really interpret the differences. We had differences of the effect of CBD in males and females. We had some hints that there was some changes in this sterile inflammatory response and the changes, so the, re, the sort of restraint of that inflammatory response, tended to be in tissues that were closely aligned with the intestine. Mm. Okay. okay. I don't know if we want to get this far into mm -hmm. the weeds. but So the sterile inflammatory response, you can measure in the blood. You can measure it in, in tissues, organs in the body, in mm -hmm. the brain. And what we, we saw that seemed to have the greatest modulatory effect was in this chain of lymph nodes that go along the intestine called the mesenteric lymph nodes. And that's possible that that is because that's the tissue that ended up with the highest concentration of CBD because mm -hmm. they were ingesting it. Mm -hmm. But once again, we've got it. That was just the first experiment. Uh -huh. um, and hopefully we'll be able to, to, to do that kind of study again um, and learn some more. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how we can apply this laboratory model to, to humans. And in cannabis, a lot of times we talk about the endocannabinoid system, and we really understand how um, this system of neurotransmitters is what allows us to digest cannabis and how it's able to have an effect on our bodies. So do rats have an endocannabinoid system? And how, how does their experience, how is their experience applicable to the human experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, both, both um, laboratory rats and humans have this fascinating uh, endocannabinoid system in the brain. Um, there are these receptors that we know bind CBD, both in the brain as well as in the peripheral tissues. Uh, the thing that's curious is 
Many times you'll hear people talk about, you know, CB receptor 1 and CB receptor 2 and, and how we somehow know something very clear about the pharmacology of those two different types of receptors. And there is nice work um, done demonstrating that CBD does bind these receptors and has different pharmacological outcomes. What's fascinating to me is that there are also uh, half a dozen other receptors in the brain that also interact with CBD and have various pharmacological outcomes. So if, if you have something, so for example, CBD could bind to a cannabinoid receptor and it could act as an antagonist, so block the endocannabinoids, mm -hmm. or it could act as an agonist, activate that endocannabinoid receptor. Mm -hmm. Or interestingly, CBD actually acts as something called an inverse agonist. Mm -hmm. So it actively does the opposite. Mm -hmm. So if you think about anxiety, you could have a drug that blocks the molecules that make you feel anxiety, mm -hmm. or you could have a drug that's an inverse agonist that makes you feel anxiety. When you mm -hmm. it. So, so CBD has this very promiscuous type of behavior, and we are really in our infancy of understanding mm -hmm. how those receptors are bound and at what doses. This dose issue that I keep hammering on is a really important one, mm -hmm. and that's another reason why the, the basic research needs to be done that then can be applied to the human condition. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, that's the way nearly every biological compound has ever come to use in humans is mm -hmm. with these early studies to understand these basic questions. So I am curious about, um, first of all, potentially some of the side effects that might come up with CBD. And I'm wondering if that's something that you're studying um, in in this research project or if that's something you've observed. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've observed this in the sense that I've talked to my friends <laughs> who, have, who have been taking extract. Mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate enough to um, go to a meeting of uh, some retired NFL players, mm -hmm. past Broncos, cool. to talk a little bit about using CBD and CBD extract for their pain. Mm -hmm. And um, and one of the one of the ex-pro football players who my husband knew exactly who it was. I didn't, but he <laughs> he was uh, an older gentleman, and he was clearly suffering from a lot of arthritis and arthritic pain from years of playing football. And he was telling me that that what he was taking um, was making him feel sick. And he was asking me, well, what's happening there? Mm -hmm. And um, I can't tell him because mm -hmm. we don't know. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's definitely a little scary to some people because we don't have this research. So, so most of the information that we have that says CBD um, is useful in terms of managing stress or helping with insomnia, et cetera, is really anecdotal, mm -hmm. but we really don't know, okay, could that vary from person to person? Right. And, and, and I mean, it's interesting you even have from your research that um, males and females might seek it out in different ways. So do you have it? So maybe we could even go back to that for a moment. Did you have any theories on why that might be happening? Well, so, so once again, this is going to be a little bit rat focused, but um, <laughs> there's an interesting thing um, about rodents. There's a process that humans and rodents have called um, conditioned food aversion. So if you have ever, let's say, um, I remember my food aversion is to ravioli. When mm -hmm. I was a kid, I ate ravioli for dinner, and then I had a terrible bout of stomach flu, and mm -hmm. I can never, ever eat ravioli again. Okay? okay? So you, you learn mm -hmm. that last time I ate this, I got sick. 
rats have a really, really strong taste aversion process because they have difficulty vomiting. They can't vomit. So if they evolutionarily Mm -hmm. didn't have an extremely high ability Mm -hmm. to pair a taste with this bad outcome, they would perish. Mm -hmm. So I think that this stuff doesn't taste that good. Okay. Okay. That's that's what I think is happening. And because it was an extract. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, you know, and so, and it wasn't, you know, one of the nice, you know, fruity flavored ones that are out there. It Mm -hmm. was just a straight extract. And so perhaps it was something as uninteresting as that. Mm -hmm. But, But we don't know. Cool, that's interesting. And I'll be curious to see if you ever, I know like Charlotte's Web has like a dark chocolate mint right, flavored exactly, extract. Exactly. So I'll be curious to see if that, if that solves it. But yeah, I'm wondering, is there anything, is there anything else that we have in terms of this data and research at this point that can be extrapolated and be applied to humans? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I can tell you, I, I was just um, reviewing a, a a recent paper that was published out of Canada, and uh, because uh, the Canadian system did legalize it federally, um, there are there are over a half a dozen trials happening right now in people mm-hmm. um, that are are going to answer some questions about pure CBD. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very exciting. Um, I hope that we don't get lost in in our our interest to understand the medical uses of CBD that we lose this potential interesting complex effect of all the other phytochemicals that you see in a natural extract. Mm-hmm. And and so, yes, it's great. We're going to these clinical trials, mm-hmm. but those are going to be trials with a pure CBD compound. Mm-hmm. And I still think that there's a lot of very useful um, research that can be done before that using mm-hmm. the, the extracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will be curious to see how that unfolds because I know there's been um, a couple of pure CBD compounds sold on the market. I know mm-hmm. Marinol was one mm-hmm. that was used for post-traumatic stress disorder among veterans, and it um, it didn't it, it wasn't a very popular drug over mm-hmm. time. So, and and a lot of people credited that to the entourage effect right. of all these cannabinoids working together and all these different compounds working together. So. Um, so do you think it's kind of, it's restrictive to, to just be studying pure CBD and do you want to continue studying this, you know, the, the extracts and the, the, all, the whole plant? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, th- I think that th- this is the, the beauty of research is research comes at questions from multiple angles. Mm-hmm. So just as we have, um, basic, uh, basic preclinical studies in whole rats, let's say, there's also a need for studies of cells in a dish, and then there's also a need for studies in people, and there's mm-hmm. a need for studies in older people and younger people, and that is how research creeps along mm-hmm. and gets the best, most accurate capturing of what is reality. Mm-hmm. And so so I think there needs to be both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to clarify that the kinds of work that I'm interested in with CBD is not necessarily the classic entourage effect with THC plus CBD, mm-hmm. but rather the entourage effect with this plethora of additional phytochemicals that mm-hmm. you see at relatively low concentrations and great um, varieties of different concentrations. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I think will be very exciting. Um, I think it's going to be a challenge for the industry to figure out if it is the case that there's some complex um, combination of molecules that you get out of a plant that you extract, how to regulate that and how to control that. Mm-hmm. That'll be the future. 
Mm -hmm. um, if it turns out that it is just pure CBD and all those other molecules are doing nothing at all, mm -hmm. then it'll be easier on that end. <laughs> but I have a I just doubt that's true. Uh -huh. So where would you like to see your research go from here? What what do you what would you what are you most excited to um, focus on next? Well, I would love to do um, the experiment I set out to do in the first place, which is to to use a very well characterized um, CBD extract or tincture and administer it to my animals in a prophylactic as well as in a um, therapeutic effect. So. Mm -hmm. One way you could envision the usefulness of something like a, a, a very well-analyzed um, CBD extract would be um, in like a SOMA effect, um, you know, Huxley's uh, novel where people took SOMA to reduce the feelings of stress on a day-to-day -day life, almost like a vitamin. And so you, so I'm curious about the prophylactic. That's what I'm saying is if you took a little bit of the soma every day, would, would when you get faced with a really strong stressor, are you able to respond to it better, mm -hmm. right, with less negative outcomes, as well as therapeutically. So after you experience your disturbed sleep, does it really help? sleep so so that's that's the future experiments that I'm hoping to do mm -hmm. um, uh, and of course the limitations will be you know basic science and research is very expensive and so we're just really working hard to try to get properly conducted basic science studies funded and I know we we just were talking about um, the pharmaceutical industry moving into some of these um, clinical trials using isolated CBD. And I'm wondering, where do you see the industry going in terms of regulating cannabis? Do you think it will, in the future, mostly be managed by Big Pharma? Or um, is there still going to be room for these, you know, just stores where they're selling plant-based extracts? Uh, where do you think this industry is going from a scientific perspective? I think that's a $10 million question. <laughs> I really do. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to see where it goes. I hope I hope the industry doesn't cut too many corners um, so that their their claims can't be substantiated. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I'd really like to see, um, a little more work there. Mm -hmm. Because when I talk to my friends, they'll, they'll go into some dispensary and they'll be given a laundry list of curative effects of mm -hmm. these materials mm -hmm. that I know for a fact have not been substantiated. Mm -hmm. So I, so that's one thing where I think the industry needs to step up. And I really do hope that, that it's not lost to big pharma. Mm -hmm. um, because then we, we won't be we won't be ingesting this stuff or smoking this stuff. We're going to be taking a pill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of talk that it is cannabis is this panacea for everything, mm -hmm. and that's a little a little dangerous. And then it makes right. it it kind of diminishes the the strong effects that it can have in treating certain conditions. So, um, yeah, I agree with that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us. And yeah, is there anything else you want to add or anything that we missed? Um, Nope, just just to hopefully the future will be bright and we will find some very, I'm very excited about the potential of, of cannabis and cannabis extracts um, being able to really help us with some of these most common problems, which is our day-to-day -day life stressors, our inability to sustain sleep during times of stress, as well as um, 
the other problems that we have, like pain and inflammation. We're looking, we're hungry for alternatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think stress just comes up so much in modern life. So I think this is really important research and I, I really wish you the best and I hope we can get this information out there. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other people find us. Cannabis Science Today is so generously supported by the Agricultural Genomics Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to educating the public on scientific research findings on cannabis. If you're interested in donating to this cause or sponsoring an episode of this podcast where we research a scientific research question or theme of your choice, please contact us through agriculturalgenomics.org.